This episode contains some graphic language and themes that might offend some listeners. Listener discretion is advised not safe for work. Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be talking about the last track from Kate Bush's first album and the title track of said album, The Kick Inside. final album track for The Kick Inside is none other than music writer Graham Thompson. Graham Thompson is a music writer who has written music biographies about Willie Nelson, Elvis Costello, and our own Kate Bush. In fact, I read his book, Under the Ivy, The Life and Music of Kate Bush, when it was released a few years ago, and I've actually read it several times since then, and I'm so excited to get to talk to him this week. We're calling all the way to Edinburgh, and we're going to be talking about the kick inside. Well, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for, I know you're probably really, really busy, but thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with me about Kate. This is, it's a bit of an honor for me, really. <laughs> oh, that's very kind. No, it's my pleasure. It sounds like a really interesting project that you're doing. Yeah, it, it's something that was kind of inspired by a, a podcast I really like where it's these two guys that are talking about Tori Amos's music, and mm-hmm. I thought it would be fun to do something like that for Kate's music kind of document each of her songs so that like interesting tidbits about the song don't get lost over time and things like that. Yeah. So you're doing every song on every album. That's the plan. Yes. Every song on every album and every B side and even some of her unreleased stuff. Wow. Like scares me silly. uh, The one she did with Peter Gabriel for her uh, Kate Bush Christmas special. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. Like we're we're going in we're going in pretty deep with her stuff here. We're going deep. Yeah, it's yes. great. That's, that's a fantastic thing to do. Well, good luck with it all. Thanks. Plus, it gives me the opportunity to talk to different Kate fans all around the world. As you can probably hear, I'm American. Yes, of course. <laughs> and I'm kind of like the only person I know who's into her music. And certainly, she never became huge over here, so I kind of feel alone. <laughs> it's always interesting. I'm, I'm always amazed how sort of cult and marginal she is in the states actually oh yeah it never quite happened over there yeah well she was she never struck me as one of those people that wanted to conquer america like a lot of foreign mm. artists so no I, I guess if she if she toured and played live and done the whole conventional thing it probably yeah it probably mm. would have happened but that wasn't for her no nope, never did So what are your personal thoughts on um, the title track for The Kick Inside? I mean, it's always been a song I've, I've loved, really, and, and I felt very kind of emo- and a very emotional attachment to. Um, it seems to me it, it teases out a lot of the things that are going on in Kate Bush's work that are recurring throughout her whole career. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's this, there's this playing around with old folk myths and old folk songs you know it's based partly on the song lucy wan or lizzie wan which is an old uh, an old british celtic folk tune which mm-hmm. we can talk about in a while yes definitely um, and you know these are eight kind of ancient themes which i think are very important to her work um 
it's incredibly beautiful. And, and it, it, mm-hmm. you know, I love her early demos. I like the songs she wrote before the Kick Inside. There's a whole raft of them, yeah. which we probably shouldn't be listening to, but most of us, I'm sure, have on on the internet and, and elsewhere. And these beautiful piano ballads that she wrote, um, songs like "Something Like a Song." These really, really incredible. Oh songs. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorites. <clears throat> Me too. I just love that song. I think it's just got such an amazing atmosphere and and mystery and everything about it. It's quite spine tingling. Something that sounds like a song In my garden By the willow Upon a So, you know, this song, the last song on her first album, I think kind of puts her back there in a way. It, it, it's a way of us kind of getting an idea of where she came from. Um, mm-hmm. But it also points forward, you know, and it's an incredibly, it's quite a very provo- provocative subject matter. You know, oh, yeah. What's going on there? Yeah. So um, I think it's very rich. And quite often we can hear these songs and it sounds very pretty and she's playing beautiful piano and she's singing beautifully and it, it, it's very melodic and we can kind of, we can kind of engage with it on that level, but I think throughout all her work, there's this incredible depth and layers to it, and that's this is a song which I think really speaks to that. Definitely, it because she likes a lot of she listened to a lot of folk music growing up, so it makes sense that a lot of her music kind of has that folky sort of feel to it. Yeah, and it's folk, folky, and I think the the, the lyrics and and the, mm-hmm. the emotions. It's not so much the music, you know. Always, it's 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 this very deep kind of ancient feel of storytelling and and narrative and and magic, which is very ingrained in both I think American and Irish and British folk music. Yeah, um, yeah. she really taps into that magical realm where strange things happen and. and there's changes and metamorphosis going on. And I think that was very important to her. And, and um, you know, she, she's covered some of those folk songs She's and she certainly adapted them into her own music. Um, and I think it's about the magic and also how how um, transgressive a lot of them are. You know, they really are tackling subjects that most modern pop songs in the 70s and later wouldn't touch with a barge pole. You know, they're, they're very transgressive and very daring, a lot of them. And I think that yeah. appealed to her. As someone who very often hasn't written about herself and hasn't written autobiographical music, you know, she's pulling inspiration and, and sources from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I find that fascinating about her, that she she doesn't write about, oh, my God, I'm in love with a boy, oh, and he doesn't love me. She doesn't write that kind of stuff, which is awesome. It's so refreshing, isn't it? That, that, Definitely. And, and when she and, and when she does the, the the odd occasions when she does, it's incredibly powerful because it is so rare and it's clearly coming from a very um, personal place. But yeah, generally she she looks outside that realm. And I suppose for a for a female singer songwriter in the seventies, you know, when you've got Joni Mitchell doing this incredible mm-hmm. confessional, very poetic and amazing, but it's it's generally confessional writing. Yeah. Um, She's really the polar opposite of that. She's she's coming at it from a whole other angle, and I would have loved to have been around actually when this, you know, when she was coming out and when this album came out and how 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 amazing it must have been to hear it, you know, fresh at that time. Mm-hmm. Same um, here. Yeah, I think it would have been really really quite remarkable. And also, you know, the way she looked, she, she looked so incredible, uh, and you know, not in a sexual way, but just the way she presented herself as this incredibly. Um, exotic creature um and i think that that plays into it as well so um it's the layering i I always find so interesting in her work you know the the levels that you can engage with it on and uh how provocative it is
I was just listening to this before I got on Skype here, and I love the opening. I love the way she opens the song. I pull down my lace in the chintz. Oh, do you know you have the face of a genius? I'll send your love to Zeus. It's like, (laughs) it's just like, whoa, okay, my goodness here. (laughs) Yeah. But I love the way she opens it, and you never hear chintz in a pop song. You never do. You won't hear chins in a pop song, definitely not. No. Um, and each, I mean, is each of those. I remember this great quote about Bob Dylan's um, "A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall" when it was saying like every line in that song is like a it's like a song in itself. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get a sense with this here. You know, those first three lines could could all come from different songs and could all be telling a completely different story, and yeah. send the listener off from three completely different trajectories straight away. And that's it's so amazing, I think, to to be able to do that. Um, and yet, there is a there is a narrative through the song. There is a, a very a very obvious story that's being told, um, and you can you can kind of take it on a number of levels. I mean, I pulled down my lace and chintz is, is almost like a sort of uh, soft romantic mm. novel kind of line, isn't it? No, no, it's it's like it's almost it's almost playing with the cliches of the romantic mm-hmm. novel, isn't it? Uh, the romantic heroine. And a lot and of her, she- you know, other and some of the other songs on the album kind of have this almost soft, soft focus Victorian feel to it. Especially like "L'Amour Looks Something Like You" yeah. or "Feel It." Oh my God, "Feel It" feels like I'm watching an old movie from the eighteen late 1800s, early 1900s when movies were starting to come in, and everything's like soft focus. Absolutely, and I think because I mean, she was such she's such a film buff, and, and I think drew an awful lot of inf- inspiration from mm-hmm. classic mm-hmm. films and classic old films and romantic films. There is that visual side to it, um, but then you've got the set. You know, do you know you have the face of a genius? And she's always, I think, one of the great things about Kate Bush's writing is the way she writes so positively about men, yes, and yes. so kind of, so kind of rapturously about men, which a lot of uh, most writers don't do and she's really fantastic at that and 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 so she's already kind of already pushing the song in that direction and that was something you brought up in in your book which by the way i have to fangirl a little bit because i i thorough no seriously i loved how thorough and well written your biography was and it's it brought me a lot of really awesome information for this podcast and and then you met and then when you when you wrote that she writes positively about men I, I thought, you know what, he's right, because a lot, like some of my other favorite female singers, I like Tori Amos, but she does have some kind of negative stuff about men. But Kate Bush doesn't seem to do that, which I I guess it has to do with the way she was brought up, because she was brought up very, she had a, sounds like she had a really happy childhood, which is awesome. Mm, yeah, no, I think she did, and, and, it, and she was surrounded, I mean, her, she was very close to her mother, but she had... Obviously, her father and two older oh, brothers, that they were extremely close. Something we'll talk about, I think, in relation to this song, I mean, it, it is relevant. But she was surrounded by very, very positive male role models um, who, I think, put a lot of interesting things her way in terms of music and art mm-hmm. and expression and confidence. You know, I think they really boosted her when she was young and writing songs. So there is throughout her entire genre and catalogue of work, there's this great kind of rapturous appreciation of the male i'm not sure we we merit it or deserve it but she she is there and she's she stands out for that i think it's, it's quite an unusual thing to hear that um mm-hmm. and then of course she and in the song then she brings in you know we're talking about mythology we're talking about zeus yeah and uh, you know it kind of elevates it to a, a, a more sort of you know classical plane i suppose well and i know in the demo version of this song that it was originally you and me on the bobbing need, and then it, it actually the next line mentions the Lucy Wan story. I forget what the exact lyric, but she, I know she changed that when she recorded it for the album. She changed it to "Didn't we cry at that old mythology he'd read?" Yeah, that's right. Originally, it was something about welling up to the story of Lucy Wan or something like that. 
come home again, but not until the sun and the moon meet on yon hill. I'm giving it all in a moment for you. I'm giving it all in a moment or two. And I suppose we, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to just kind of summarise that song. I mean, that song is a, it is a very old folk song, which is to do with um, Lucy Wan falling pregnant by her brother. Mm-hmm. And then her, she tells her brother that she's pregnant and he chops her head off and cuts her in two. And then he sails off at the end. Um, very <clears throat> so it's happy a very, song. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, it's a, a very dark kind of... Um, one of the great kind of dark folk songs and it has many different derivations in, in different titles and different uh, mm. uh, sort of sources but that's basically what it's about and she mentions this explicitly and there's a line in the song when it talks about the sun and the moon meet on yon hill which is direct pretty much direct directly taken from um lucy wan so that yeah. little train spotter clue is still in the song but she did she did take that ex- explicit reference out to the song itself so I went and looked at uh, other versions, and since it being a folk song, there's like 50,000 versions. Sometimes it's like Roseanne, sometimes it's yeah. Fair Lizzie, but that's folk songs for you. I mean, certainly we've got some here in America, you know, some folk songs that are like, you, you change a couple of the words and a couple of lines because that's what one person in the Appalachia knows. And then over exactly. here yeah. in yeah. The Adirondacks, they know it is something different and all that. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but yeah. Yeah, no, there's lots. So I think that there's, very, there's kind of more recent versions called Fair Rosie, which is a similar ah. song. Um, I like the, the Martin Carthy version of, of Lucy Wan is, is a very clear one, you know, if, in terms of I think he sings it without any accompaniment and it's, it's, he's a great singer and mm. you can kind of really hear the... The story in that version, but yeah, there's there's dozens and dozens, and um, I love that. I love that about folk music. I love the way it just kind of evolves and splinters, and it's a very natural thing, isn't it? It is. And when I looked at the original folk song, um, and people complain that things are violent now, they should go back and read some of these folk songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. I mean, they, they, they don't they don't, they don't shy it, away know. from death and life and birth or anything. No, they're they're pretty brutally honest about it. They are, and they tell it in a very simple and and unemotional way. You know, it's just it's laid out there absolutely to bear. And I think it's it's just a it's always been a way of people dealing with the things that happen in society, you know, the bad things that happen or the things that happen within communities or within families as, as in this song here, you know, and it's a, it's unsparing, you know, the language is unsparing, the delivery is unsparing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's incredibly brutal. And I think, you know, there's, there's a bit of Kate Bush about that. I mean, she is very romantic, I think, in many ways in the way she writes, but she's also very direct and she does not shy away from, um, the sort of basics of life and death and sex and all the in between, um, and I think that's definitely been influenced by, by folk music and mm-hmm. the directness of folk music, and as I said earlier, that sort of, the magic as well. You know, there's a, there's a, this dance between absolute realism and then this kind of surreal magical quality that also exists, and uh, I think her her work spans both of that, both, of, both of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we, we mentioned that the reference to Zeus, you know, the, the, oh, the yeah. fast God. Now, I mean, if, if you take that to its, li- to its literal conclusion, she is singing this song as, as Artemis, the sister of Apollo. That, that, that would be the sort of classical frame of reference for uh, the brother and sister who are having an incestuous relationship and whose father is Zeus. Now, I don't know whether that was in her mind, to what extent that was in her mind when she wrote the song, but... That that is another reading of the song. I think that that kind of classical, the classical allusions, and there's a couple of, I think there's something else she mentions in the lyric where she talks about, um, yeah, didn't we cry at that old mythology he'd read? Yeah. Which could refer to that. Um, 
It's interesting. Refer, so much, or it could refer to the original song. Original song, it? which which is which is where that song was mentioned in the original mm-hmm. in the original version. That that's exactly the line where she talked about Lucy Wan. Um, but it's not quite mythology that song. It, it's it's yeah it's, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know whether you know it, it's another reading of it. Um, there's enough there, I think, to to make it. I guess to to distract you from making it a literal reading of the song or a personal reading of the song, that there's allusions to the original folk song, original uh, allusions to the the myth of uh, the classical myth of Zeus and Apollo and Artemis, and all these things are kind of distractions, but also other layers. And and uh, I find all that fascinating because it's it's not a long song and it hasn't got that many words in it, but she manages to pack all these uh, different allusions in there. Um, very clever. And I love the arrow. The, the, the idea of the arrow, her being an arrow shot into the killer storm. Yeah. It's a wonderful line. Oh, yeah, and I was going to mention that for one of my other favorite lyrical moments, if you, if you will. Because like, it, it's, it's so evocative. You're just, you, 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 I hear that, and I, go, and I think, oh, yeah. That does, oh, yeah. That's really yeah. cool. Just the way she puts that, it's really, it's really intriguing. It is, and I think again that t- that kind of ties into the ancient classical mythology, the the arrow shot. But as I said, also her, her brother, a big archer, a big fan of archery, and, and uh, so there's a kind of maybe a personal illusion there as well. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, it's just great. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's just great. But I wonder still- why she did that though. Well, it could just it could just be the same as changing any other lyric, I guess, that she just didn't yeah. feel that it worked. Um, or she may just have felt it was too obvious or too direct or too sort of crude a reference to the source material. Um, I, I, I don't I don't know. Um, I, I think when you listen to the demo, it, it actually doesn't it doesn't scan terribly well as a lyric. It doesn't it doesn't mm. sit all that comfortably in her voice. So it might have just been that. She came up with something that she regarded as a as a better alternative. Yeah. Um, but the song, I mean, it, it, the kick inside is still it, it. It's the same subject matter. I mean, it is. Um, you know, your sister I was born. She's clearly pregnant. Kicking here inside. So if you take it on a literal level, that 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 is what the song is about. Um, which is is pretty daring stuff for a you know nineteen year old on her first record. Eh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm thinking about what I know this is we're in a very different musical environment than 1978 but I'm thinking about the usual top 40 stuff now and it's all love songs or various other forms of love and things like that mm. and then along you don't get this kind of really thought provoking music these days or at least if you do it's very underground like a lot of people don't get to hear it yeah, but I think I mean we're, I suppose to kind of label her as as pop music is so maybe to misrepresent her intentions because I don't think that was what she was trying to make at the time. So, you know, I think the success of Wuthering Heights completely took her by surprise and probably everybody else by surprise, and it, it pulled her in a different direction straight away. But True. I don't think she had any any notion that she was making that. Just you know, the people she looked up to, which were you know Pink Floyd and and Elton John and Peter Gabriel, who were making. You know, making the music they wanted to make, it still had a commercial, um, you know, it had a commercial undertone to it, and, it and it was commercially successful, but it wasn't trying to pander to the pop market. And I suppose yeah, that's probably yeah. the bracket she was in. So I think she's always written without any real consideration for, you know, for commercial success, as much as she likes a good tune and, she's, and is a brilliant pop star, you know, was absolutely fantastic at it, even if it was maybe slightly grudging that she didn't want to do it, but she happened to be very, very good at doing it. Yeah. yeah, and I kind of can't blame mm-hmm. her for not wanting to do the whole pop star thing because you'd have to be—you'd have to pretend to be somebody you're not. And what I like about her is that she's, at least to me, she's true to who she is. She's like, I'm English. I'm going to sing in an English accent. I'm not going to flatten out my singing to appeal to Americans and make it mid Atlantic or something. And I'm going to do things off in this interesting direction because I feel it's more interesting. Like I Mm. like that she stays true to who she is, which is really, really awesome to see. Absolutely. Yeah. And it it takes her to some interesting places and it it doesn't always work. You know, I think she's as admirable as much for her, 
fairly rare mistakes as she is for all the other great stuff she does because it's always coming from that place of exploration and, and being true to whatever feeling she has or whatever inspiration mm -hmm. she has at that time. And that's, I think that's why other artists as well hold her in such high esteem because it is a rare thing that uh, when you're buffeted by the commercial pressures of the record industry to kind of hold your course and stay true to your vision is difficult. And I think when you're a woman in the 70s and a young woman in that, a very male-oriented industry, it must have been very, very hard for her yeah. to do that. And so when people sometimes see her as this ethereal, slightly kind of waif-like figure, I don't think anything could be further from the truth. You know, she's clearly an extremely strong, uh, driven and committed artist. And, Definitely. Has, you know, has backed it, backed it up all, all the way. Um, but I think, you know, she had that year and a half of, of being a pop star and kind of being put into that world and she clearly d did not enjoy it and, and mm. everything she's done since in a way has been a reaction against that. Yeah. Like she doesn't tour, she's only ever done the two sets of concerts and things like that. And I was certainly, yeah. and she, never, she didn't want to try and conquer America. I'm one of the few people who's even heard of her and anybody... Everybody who knows me knows about Kate Bush because they hear about it from me. <laughs> You're spreading the gospel. That's great. Pretty much. I mean, I, I love I love hearing her sit down and play at the piano and just me playing. Too. You know, she did it. She did one song at. Before the dawn concert, she did among among angels at the piano, and there is something just stunning about that. It, it kind of, for all the other dazzling stuff she does, you know, there is something just amazing about the way she can just sit down and sing and play piano. Um, mm -hmm. So you know that quality has always been there. It's 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 quite mesmerizing, and and it's never obvious. You know, the, the songs always go off on slightly interesting detours and melodic turns and twists she never takes the easy option yeah and it's beautiful i mean i, I interviewed for, for the for under the ivy the book i wrote you know i interviewed john kelly who was the engineer on the kick inside album and uh he highlighted the, the song the title track just as he was mixing it it just suddenly kind of overpowered him that the message of the song the emotion of the song um and her work can hit you like that you know it can kind of you can kind of listen to it several times without it necessarily penetrating and then suddenly you just hear it and think god that's amazing that really is amazing yeah. you know what she's what she's doing there and it sounds very effortless but it's incredibly complex um and she can do it just with a piano and a voice you know and you know there's beautiful strings in this song it's beautifully produced but it's probably i would say no less powerful um if it was just her uh singing it at the piano and I like that the the strings and the orchestra arrangement under her, it's very tasteful. It never overpowers her singing in her piano, which is really cool to hear. I think that's true. Yeah, I think she got quite quite lucky early on with her collaborators. You know, everyone seemed to sense how to present her music. Um, mm -hmm. And I know, of course, ultimately she wanted to take control of that and do it herself. But, but those first two records with Andrew Powell um, are very well done, very mm -hmm. tastefully done. And the musicians she played with were very kind of respectful and appreciated what she was doing because it could have gone quite badly wrong, actually. And, and, you know, as young as she was, it's quite hard. I guess it would have been quite hard to sort of really stand up in your first record and, and lay down the law if it wasn't going the way she wanted. So I think, yeah, she was she was treated uh, and her songs were treated with a great deal of sort of restraint and res respectfulness. Yeah, because yeah. they recognize, oh, wow, this is a pretty talented teenager here. Whoa, you mean a 19-year-old oh, yeah. wrote this? What? Like, yeah. She strikes me as like the interesting girl sitting in the back of the class, kind of introverted, but she's just kind of watching everybody, and she's doing her own thing, and she doesn't really care what everybody else thinks. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to I be friends that. with her. Yeah, and a, a, a real inner confidence that doesn't need to sort of pronounce itself or shout about itself, but it's... yeah. It's quite refined, and I think she's also she's she's you know she's held on to that childlike quality all the way through her work, that sense of wonderment of seeing things for the first time or feeling things for the first time or just noticing stuff. You know, kids notice stuff all the time that as adults mm -hmm. we completely ignore, and I think that's that's really part of her artistic vision is that ability to kind of pick up on on the childlike 
wonder of the world and present it in a really, you know, a really emotional, direct way. Um, yeah. And she's never, she's never lost that, I don't think. And yet she's also very, you know, it's a very sexual album, The Kick Inside. It's full of... Oh, you know, yeah. Full of burgeoning sexuality and puberty and pregnancy. And, uh, you know, it's, it, she's not shy in, in any way about confronting those things either. You know, she's able to do both somehow and, and do them both utterly convincingly. Yeah, and I think some of that comes from her, like when I read in your book, when, when, she, was, when she was a child, that her parents were pretty, op- seemed pretty open about things. And she's just like, eh, whatever, that's just life, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think that's true. A very a kind of quite a bohemian um, upbringing, mm-hmm. uh, so quite permissive in terms of literature, and you know, talking about sex and and, and things like that. You know, not a prudish environment, and it it comes back to the song. I mean, it, it it is, I think, in in a in a non-sexual sense. If we read it in a non-literal sense, it is a kind of love song to her to her brothers. You know, it, it it's about. Um, I think that closeness, you know, there's a lot. There's a line about arrows shooting the arrow, you know, and John, oh, yeah. her, you know, John, her elder brother was was very into archery and talking and into um, oh. that side of things. So I mean, I think that might be a nod to him. Um, and the Zeus, you know, the, the, the Apollo and Artemis, which is a sort of the the, the the son and daughter of Zeus in in some classical stories, and, and they had a very close relationship. So there's a sort of classical side, and I think she's romanticising. Um, that relationship with with her two brothers and, and how special it is, and, and you know she's taking it from a song that's about incest, but I don't think the song is actually you know literally about that. Obviously, it's 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 more of a you know an expression of I think a very deep, touching relationship which has continued, you know, and and they have been very important in her, in her career all the way through, you know, and, and have given advice, taken photographs, played played songs. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have been real mentor figures all the way through. Yeah, and they do. played on her her songs too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I get a sense of farewell. It's almost like a child saying farewell to her childhood in a way, and sort of hmm. coming into adulthood. That uh, that sense of loss uh, is there, and love. And I, I just feel it's a very emotional song on that level. Um, and she's, I think, she's taken the inspiration from uh, a song like Lucy Wan and just built into her own life. But also she's telling a story as well. So there is mm-hmm. that element of just making things up. But it's, you know, when John, when I spoke to John Kelly and he said, you know, it just struck me as very emotional and quite moving. And, and it, it does have that weight to it. It does have a real sort of power and weight to it um, that seems to me it's about something quite personal and special to her. Yeah, personal yeah. without being like, oh, this is definitely a song about me yeah that it can be taken on multiple levels another thing I yeah which is uh, yeah which a lot of her songs are you know th- you know they, they're, they're like you know mrs bartolozzi from ariel which is mm-hmm. you know a very uh, this incredibly kind of impenetrable narrative that we don't really know but there's something very very personal to her going on in that song you know and i wouldn't want to say what it was but but you know you have to trust your gut on these things and it's definitely there but I mean, kind of speaking of like live stuff, I understand that the live footage of this song was, I guess, never released, but it's been on YouTube. I've seen footage from a different source of her doing this song live on her tour, her first tour on YouTube. Yeah, I think she, she did play it on that 79 tour of life. Um I mean, she played most, I think, most of the first two records on that tour and, and a few new songs as well because um, she didn't have that much material, so she played virtually everything. Um, now, this one, she, at least the, the footage of the, the kick inside was I mean, kind of compared to what she did later on in that tour and certainly, like, before the dawn, was quite simple. It, it, I think this one, she was just she just came out at the piano and just played it. Like no big visuals or anything. Yeah, I mean there was a few songs like that, and and um, 
It's great, and I think it's almost like a kind of fire break in in this in the stage show. You know, you have all this incredible stuff going on, and and at times you just need to bring it down um, and just get back to back to basics. And uh, it's always amazing what she does. I'm not sure how else you would have presented that song, really. No, um, me I'm not neither. Sure how you would, I'm not sure if you could, you know, literally uh, literally sort of visualize it on stage. Um, and it, it, it is one of those, one of the, you know, and there's two or three songs on that record, that first album, that lend themselves, I think, just to her sitting there and playing the piano. when somebody uh, on the Kate Bush news board linked to a couple of these songs that were not released on the official Hammersmith Odeon tape. And they went, hey, but this is from some other source I found. And somebody linked to all these songs that I never had heard her sing live or at least seen the visuals for. And I about flipped out. Like, oh, really? whoa, yeah, like, like flip down a good way, like, whoa, oh my goodness, and I actually told my husband, because my husband knows I'm a huge Kate Bush fan, and I, honey, there's this other stuff that's never been released, and I'm so excited, <laughs> and so I immediately, like, went and watched it, and, and, like, put it in with the Hammersmith tape, like, I would pause it, and then go to the YouTube version, when I knew that that song was supposed to be right after the other one, and I was especially excited to hear her sing this one live, because I know this one wasn't released on the official thing. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder why, Pro- probably just, bec- I don't know, maybe it just slowed things up a bit, you know, it, and, and it wasn't sufficiently dramatic. I don't know. It's, it's a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lovely ending to the album. You know, it's, it's a very rich musical album and, and it, it sort of brings you away softly. And it does feel like a, I think, as I said earlier, it feels like a kind of letting go in many ways, that song. It feels like a, a sort of, you're moving from one, 
one journey to the next, you know, in, in, in many different ways in relationships, literally in terms of life and death in, in, in the very kind of literal reading of the song. But it also feels um, like a very good ending to that album somehow. It just wraps it up um, in a very satisfying way, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. I know in your book you had mentioned that there were a couple other songs, that there they recorded a couple of songs just piano and vocal and that one of them or that one of them was the kick inside the other was feel it do you know what the other one was because i'm curious what was the other piano vocal song they recorded and didn't use golly now you put me on the spot i, 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 I can't remember that's <laughs> no, okay it's, uh, i can't remember no I, I don't know um i i couldn't tell you um i mean i know that the man with the child in his eyes was recorded I think live with with the orchestra, and that was a demo version that was a couple of years old, even then, which is extraordinary. Um, yeah, she had tons. I mean, if, you know, if you go back to the Phoenix demos and all these mm-hmm. songs that she wrote in the lead up, she had t- dozens and dozens of songs, um, piano songs. So I, I'd imagine it would have been um, could have been any number of those early songs, any many of which could have gone on that record. I think mm-hmm. uh, were good, strong enough. Um, yeah, one of my favorites that she did from the Phoenix demos, "Frightened Eyes," is probably my favorite yeah. one because it's that one I can see could see on her first first couple albums. It's just got the got this like outsider perspective and kind of watching the world and observing what things are going on. And it's just it's very insightful. Her her music is so insightful. Oh, it really is. Yeah, I mean. Uh, uh, incredibly and just intuitively insightful i think she just picks up on things uh, that other people don't which is in many ways what great artists do you know they notice things that other people don't and they're able to articulate them in a way that other people can't and she clearly had that from the age of you know 13 14 uh, it, it was there pretty much f- fully formed you know i think what happened is obviously her the craft of what she did became much more and um, polished and and you know, her technique and all the things that she could bring into that. But I think that intuitive gift is just, is kind of God-given and, and it was always there. And you can hear it. You know, that's what I love about the songs. They just seem to be pouring out of her and, and these incredible insights. And as I said, you know, something like a song is, is probably my favorite mm-hmm. of those. It's just, it's just got an atmosphere that I love. But, but there's uh, many of them that I think could have easily gone on her early records and wouldn't, would have been, very much in place uh, on any of them. Um, mm-hmm. It's amazing, really. Quite amazing. Definitely. And wow, I should say. Very wow. Yeah, wow. And, you know, violin. A lot of these songs were around, uh, you know, early on. Certainly a lot of the Lionheart songs were around um, early on. And I think the kick inside is kind of it pays homage to that time. It's one of those songs, one of that batch of songs couldn't really imagine her playing it with the band that play on that mm-hmm. record um it has that sort of feel that seems to come from the farmhouse and the, the home the place where she grew up and the family as we've talked about and her brothers and her father it seems very much rooted in that period which was a very important and formative period for her and i think that maybe is why i, I like it because i i like writing about that period in the book i like finding out about it i think it's really significant for her whole career Mm-hmm. how nurtured she was and how much uh, opportunity she was given and how encouraged she was uh, at that time. And so that song sort of links into all of that for me. So this is the part of the show where I usually put in cover versions of whatever song we've been talking about that week. But for this episode, I decided to do things a little bit differently. While I did find some versions of the actual song, The Kick Inside, I thought that it would be more interesting to play some of the original folk renditions of the song that this one, The Kick Inside, has its roots in. Now, before I play you some clips of the original song and where you can see just how different (laughs) each version is, depending on who's telling it, since it's a folk song, 
I wanted to point out something interesting that I didn't get to talk about with Graham when this episode was first recorded in the summer of 2017. I recorded my discussion with him in July 2017. This is being recorded about two weeks before Christmas (laughs) in December 2017. So this is quite a few months later. The reason I'm adding this in is because in the time that that discussion was recorded, and now, I got to talking with a huge Kate fan on Twitter. This is somebody who's going to appear on a number of the Lionheart episodes in our upcoming season, and she's also going to be on the Lionheart introduction episode. I'm going to do an intro episode to that season. Her name is Zoe, and we got to talking on Twitter, and we started emailing all about Kate Bush, and she's a young fan, and it was great to talk with somebody else who's just as obsessed (laughs) with Kate Bush as I am. Now, Zoe pointed out something about this song that I didn't get to talk about with Graham, and that is this song, if you really listen to the lyrics, is quite fascinating because Kate has given a voice to an otherwise voiceless character in an old murder ballad. As we've been talking about, this song is about a sister who gets pregnant by her brother, and in the end, she decides that she's going to commit suicide. In the original folk song, it's the brother who kills her. He usually kills her pretty early on in the story, and the rest of the story is focused on him trying to cover up his crime and what ends up happening to him. But you don't really get to hear much about the girl and how she feels about it other than, oh, she's weeping and causing a moan. And in in Kate's version, she has decided to tell this very tragic story from the woman's point of view. So she's no longer just a random victim of sexual violence. She's actually given a voice and a soul and reasons for her doing what she is going to be doing. And she also takes her own fate into her own hands. Rather than letting a very violent man take away her life, she's going to do it. So while her decision is still very tragic, it's in her hands, her fate, rather than her brother's. In listening to this folk song, as you'll hear, sometimes her name is different. Sometimes she's Lucy Wan, sometimes she's Lizzie Wan, and other versions she's a Rosie Ann. Sometimes the brother's not even given a name. Sometimes his name is Billy. Otherwise, it's just my dear brother. And sometimes the brother kills her off very early on. And in other times, she gets to tell her parents first. Either way, it's fascinating to hear the original folk origins of this song and then go to listen to Kate's version and what she ended up doing with the song. So without further ado... Here are some versions of the Lucy Wan, Lizzie Wan story that you can enjoy as we close out this episode. Enjoy! Now Lizzie May sat in her bedroom door She grieved and she wept all day Till by there came her father dear Said what ails of you My ailing is a woman's ail Dear father, I'll tell you why I have a baby in my side All caused by my brother and I Now Lizzie May sat in her bedroom She grieved and she wept all day Till by there came her mother dear Said what ails of you, Lizzie May My ailing is a woman's ail Dear mother, I'll tell you why I have a baby in my side, all caused by my brother and I. Now Lizzie May sat in her bedroom door. She grieved and she wept all day, till by there came her mother dear. 
grieved and she wept all day. Till by there came her brother dear. Said what ails of you, Lizzie And when he found what the matter was, he showed her no mercy. But cut her body also fair in pieces one, two, and three. Oh, he will sail the widest sea beyond the farthest land, oh, because the blood of Lily May was red upon his
Thank you. I, I know I keep saying this, but thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with, you know, fangirl. Yay, Kate Bush, American oh, enthusiastic fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you for thinking of me. And uh, I hope it all goes well. And I look, drop me a note when it's all being broadcast and stuff. And I'll definitely I'll tweet it and whatever I can do to help. Well, thank you very much again. No problem. Nice to talk to you. Take care. Take care. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, Music of Kate Bush. If you have a favorite Kate song or even a couple of songs that you'd love to talk about with a fellow fan, feel free to hit me up either on Facebook at Kate Bush Podcast, on Twitter at Strange Kate Cast, or you can email me kbcast at linkmedia.com, and that's linked with an E. I would love to hear from you. Also, if you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to. Feel free to hit me up through those avenues as well. See everybody next week for the first B-side episode of this podcast, where I will be discussing the song Scares Me Silly, But It Gets Me Going. Looking forward to it. See everybody next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. 
FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.